Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Good morning and welcome to the next in our series on loss and grief. And today we thought we'd dive in with one that often is not discussed as often. And we will try and, you know, put some reason to things and some thinking and perspective for people because we're going to talk today about suicide, loss, and grief, something that is so difficult and it impacts everyone very, very differently. And Susie... Reese is with me, obviously, today, because Susie and I are doing this whole series together. And this is your, I, I, I hate to say this, but this is your area of specialty right. in terms of mental illness and suicide prevention. And regrettably, I've been involved with a lot on the military side. And it, it leaves you with a different thought. But we're going into this today presuming that most everyone knows of someone who has died by suicide, but perhaps has not been as close. Mm. And we'll give some perspective on thinking and reasons and how you can cope and what to say and not to say. So, Susie, you want to lift us off? Well, I think that um, there's so many different avenues and areas that you can go into with this topic. And like you said, it's it's my area. So, you know, when I first really experienced it, um, I realized that very few people had a lot of information, I should say. Everyone had an opinion, <laughs> right? Um, but there wasn't a lot of supported information. And so that kind of set me on this path of trying to learn more. And I have, it in an odd way, been blessed to be able to work with so many different types of individuals through mm-hmm. this specific area. And so it gives you a lot more, not only information, but perspective as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, that's the difficulty because so many people disassociate from this issue Good in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And that's not a problem for me. That's not something I've been impacted by. And yet it's probably a lot closer to home than we realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and it presents in so many different ways. And so, you know, we see um, teens who are having issues being accepted by friends. And then, you know, that that in itself can be a great trigger for someone to have thoughts of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see older generations who have lost purpose. And so there's so many different layers just on this one issue alone. But um, I think that it's one of the ones that for me, it was so mysterious for the longest time. And I just, Mm -hmm. I didn't understand why. (laughs) So um, for those who don't know, I did lose my, my father when I was 10 and um, that was, it wasn't the first time that I had lost someone, but that was obviously a very huge loss and it completely shifted my world around me. And because of his loss, I saw just how 
it tore into people in different ways. Uh-huh. Um, whereas with other losses, you know, when you lose someone in an accident or if it's a health issue or something, we don't often blame that person. Um, we, we see it as this was unfortunate. This was something that happened or, and it still hurts. It's very, a very difficult type of loss. But with this particular loss, you, you have a lot of blame for that person. And so there's so many conflicting emotions that aren't necessarily attached to other types of losses. Let me stop you there because I think one of the things that I have heard from a lot of people too is self blame mm. by the survivors. Yes, oftentimes. Um, I don't know of any person that I've met and have met a lot of people in this work that doesn't blame themselves. Right. And it, for one reason or another. And um, that has been the most difficult issue in my work for me to ever come to understand. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time. And finally, um, a couple things came, came to, I, I came to realize, first of all, <clears throat> we are a very control oriented species. <laughs> you know, we, we yes. like to have control. We like to be able to influence and be able to impact and affect and, and, and have that sense of control. And someone made the comment, blame is a sense of control. And we put blame on ourselves with the feeling that we had the ability to impact something that we probably didn't have the ability to impact. But that controllessness, that inability to have that influence, uh, right, can often be much scarier than the thought of this is my fault. I did well, something or I, they I, said something. Absolutely. And I think there are. We, we live in a society where there has to be a reason for something. Right. So if we blame or we finger point or if we look inward and say something about ourselves or our behavior, it, it tends to make, as you said, it's more in control or influencing, but it often is flawed judgment. Mm-hmm. Well, oftentimes it's emotionally driven, and mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I've seen someone who – has lived, I mean, I lived with blame. I was 10. <laughs> right. What could I really have done, honestly, at, a, at that age and never having been exposed to that issue before? What, right. what power did I have over any of that? And yet for 20 years, I felt as though I could have changed something or done something differently. Mm-hmm. And then I, I came, the second realization I had was even though some of us are familiar with this issue um, and may know of it or have heard of it, very few of us, there are more now, but very yes. few of us in the past have been trained or had classes or learned what to say, what not to say. Mm-hmm. And so until you've been exposed to that information, you don't know <laughs> what to do. Um, and, and Maya Angelou said, you know, once, right. once you know, then you can correct it moving forward, but you can't blame yourself for something that you didn't know before. And I think that that, to me, that changed things because so many people are still carrying a lot of self blame and it keeps them from being able to move on and move forward and process. Um, and I think well, that, that you're exactly because they cannot mourn the loss right. if they're stuck in the self-blame or the judgments, uh, which is different from those who disassociate from it. That's another group of people who that is their coping mechanism with it. And often those are the people at arm's length mm-hmm. who 
actually, in my experience, has been that it's not that they don't care. They do. But it, it hits too close to home. If that person could take their own life and life was so painful that there didn't seem to be another alternative, it makes people afraid for themselves. It does. And, and I've seen that multiple times. Um, the, the more recent time that I saw just a flood of really fear mm-hmm. um, was when Anthony Bourdain passed. Yes. And people were just inundating me with messages. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that it was it was the, their own worlds that they were worried about. Mm-hmm. And they felt for him. Don't get me wrong. But it, it kind of broke this wall down. <laughs> of reality in a way of, oh my gosh, you know, if someone, if someone who has all of these things and is well loved and, you know, what about me and what about my, my people in my world? And I think that that's the thing about suicide, you know, and other types of losses, we have zero control that is beyond that, you know, that is a universe, a God, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and with this, this is within that own person's grasp. And why would someone do that? And so it's terrifying and we don't want to face that reality oftentimes. And I completely understand. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I I do believe with this specific loss too, that oftentimes we allow it to grow out of control. And so because we don't look at it and try to understand it and and work on it. But um, when he passed, oh, so many people were, what do I do? Or, you know, I'm worried about this person now. Well, you were worried about them before, but now this brought it closer home to right. you in a different way. And I hated having to say that, but that's the reality. There's always someone in your mind that you're thinking, mm, I'm just, I'm not really sure how they're doing right now, you know? And that's so timely because years ago, no one talked about this. It was a hidden secret um, it was never mentioned in obituaries. It still sometimes is not. Mm-hmm. And yet we are talking about this so much more. Part of it is because the prevalence is there, but also because with social media, even if you don't say it, people know. Mm-hmm. And so it starts to get talked about. And I think it's better when we talk about it openly and we talk about the vulnerabilities that are there for everyone and that control is an illusion in most cases. It is for me. How about for you? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I learned that when I had children. Yes. Oh, definitely. That's, I think pets did it for me even earlier than children. It was reinforced with children. But we're talking more about such a, a deep topic. It, it opens it up. And I have a huge belief that sunshine and putting things into the light and talking about them makes things less stigmatized. Mm. And I think one of the things that we have learned is that talking to people, which used to be a huge myth, if you talk about it, they'll do it, Mm. is the opposite. Actually talking and engaging with someone who's having um, challenges, whether it's depression or anxiety or fears or bullying or pick your topic, talking about it often helps. It does help. And, you know, you say that that used to be, it's still common thought. It is. Um, Every time I do a presentation, people still believe that. And it's, that's centuries of us having been told that. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, but, um, it is, you know, for someone who is struggling, you can't put ideas in someone's head. Believe me, I've tried to have children. I'm constantly (laughs) trying. 
<laughs> so like, right. Clean your room, clean, you know, they do what they're going to do. Um, and that, that can be a bad thing too, because even when you're trying to help someone, you can't convince them. It's, it's not a rational, logical conversation that you can That's have. That's the key word. It right. It's not rational. It is a pain that you're not experiencing that you can see that they are, but there's a different answer. We're going to go on a quick break and come back and continue talking about suicide, loss, and grief. Don't go away. This is an important discussion. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Weight Watchers Magazine reports that 49% of Americans start their day by eating cereal. Choosing the right cereal is important. Be sure that the cereal you choose is whole grain. Studies have proven that whole grain cereals can help you lose weight. The first ingredient on the box should be whole wheat, oats, brown rice, or rye. Be mindful that if your cereal has fruit in it, that it is real dried fruit and not fake fruit. Fiber is an important element, and cereals should contain five or more grams. Also check out the sugar content. Since four grams is equal to two teaspoons of sugar, choose a cereal that has eight grams or less. Select a good cereal to start your day on the right track. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back. As we talk more about mental health and and suicide and prevention, there are often things that we as observers or family members or neighbors or even communities I think sometimes dispelling the myth, Susie, is one of the hardest things to do for the general population. So, for example, the the old stigma, or as you said, it's still current in many places, don't talk about it. One of the most important things we can do is to actually look, observe someone. When you notice changes in, in behavior that don't seem normal, be a friend. Be, reach out and you'll find that talking and engaging with people, people are hungry for it, especially now. There is so much isolation and too much in the way of flippant, uh, social media comments, etc. Not that those aren't great, you know, humor is wonderful. But when you're not in that headspace, when you are in a really painful, dark place and you don't really even want to reach out, you may not even be on your phone. You may have your phone turned off. If you see someone, it's important who's close to you, who you do recognize behavioral changes. This reaching out couldn't be more important than now. I agree. And I think that too often we, I, I still come back to the fact that we, you know, just, do not believe in the simplest things as true solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does. And I, I can't tell you how many people have reached out and just said, I just need someone to listen. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, and then they aren't, I wouldn't say better, but they feel better. And that just having that sense of someone was there for me, 
that makes such a huge difference in someone's life. And, you know, I, I've thought back to conversations I've had or, or, um, you know, messages or whatever they've sent mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and thought of those people and then reached out later and just said, Hey, you know, I'm still thinking of you. How are you? And they're like, you have right. no idea what that meant for me. And I'm like, I probably don't, <laughs> I might've but- been on that side of it at one point, you know, but, um, those things are so meaningful and they make such a huge difference in a person's life. And too often we think, Oh, well, you know, it's not, uh, so I don't know them that well. Right. They wouldn't really want to hear from me. Right. And, and the truth couldn't be more backwards. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's just a, a person who's engaged. And I think one thing that you mentioned earlier, a loss of purpose. I know a lot of older mm-hmm. people who have lost their purpose and that is the, the reason that they are feeling so down. But it, everybody's reasons or thinking is different. Right. But it, talking is, is, is something universal, uh, or listening, right. active listening, I, I probably should have said. Well, and I think that, you know, there are commonalities among certain types of people, certain age groups, things like that. And like, if you look specifically at older adults, purpose is so important. And those adults who are connected to their gener- younger generation, yes. like their grandchildren, great grandchildren, yes. They have that sense of purpose because mm-hmm. they get to carry on their stories. They get to have um, a, a role in their lives. They get to see, you know, their uh, right. their future in front of them. Um, it's the ones that aren't as connected. So finding ways to connect them in, whether it's, you know, having high school kids send them cards or whatever it is, it, it doesn't have to be a daily, you know, all day long, 24-7 for the rest of your life situation, it, it can be smaller things that are just meaningful. And that's, I find those, those are the simplest things um, that stay with us the longer mm-hmm. and that we really kind of just grasp onto as human beings. And I feel like sometimes we don't get those enough and that's part of it. It's like a deprivation. <laughs> so it, it is a deprivation. And I also think that, um, when I've spoken with people, those who have somebody else or something else to take care of, mm-hmm. whether it's a cat or a dog, um, it, it it's something in their lives that depends on you. And that is a small purpose, but it's a wonderful purpose. And it can really be an anchor that, right. that you know, holds you here even when maybe you don't want to be here. Um, it's different from unrelenting pain. Right. There's so many reasons why people make these choices, but there are some other things that, you know, make it less likely um, based on risk factors. Right. And that's actually one of the things, especially if I'm talking about youth, um, I'll ask if they have a pet or if they mm-hmm. have anything. Now, if we're talking about major mental health issues, right. these, these are, these are not solutions no. for major. I mean, those are right. medications and therapies and all of And I have to constantly <laughs> remind people of those things, but, um, you know, those sometimes that connectivity is all they need that, that responsibility, that sense of being needed. Right. Um, and, and I think that we overlook that oftentimes. And sometimes, especially if you're talking about youth, they don't even know what that is. They don't know what they're feeling. Um, and, and it's our role is to kind of question and go through and help them like navigate like, okay, well, you know, 
what are you thinking or, you know, and try and give them words around what's going on and then help them with that. But sometimes, you know, a hamster, I've had one where, um, they went and got a hamster and that, that was it. That's, that helped that youth in so many ways because now they get up and they feed it and they, and you think, wow, um, I never would have thought of something literally so small. To, to help, but I think sometimes too, when someone is in the midst of this and, and suicide loss is not just death, but if, if you have someone that is struggling with those thoughts, that is mm-hmm. a type of loss, um, that feeling of control. I think sometimes we're too close to it, you know, and we right. can't see past because it's over, it's an overwhelming, yes, so overwhelming. Well, um, it's interesting because I, I, think that there are a lot of people who struggle with what I'll call the major transitions in life. Mm-hmm. So when your children leave and you have an empty nest, sometimes people feel like, okay, I've, I've taken care of my children now for 18 years, 20 years, whatever it might be, and now I'm making dinner for two. <laughs> right. Is that, well, I'm, I'm not joking, actually. I know. There is not. a great sense of loss. And it, it just depends on how the relationship was before. Or those, you, we all know many stories where someone has retired. You know, they've worked all their life to get to a retirement phase. But now this is all there is. Right. And they lose a purpose or, or they lose a spouse or, you know, a, a friend or a partner. And things become, you know, not the way they thought it would be. Once again, right. bringing up our expectations and our control and, and what we hope for. Um, but there are no guarantees in life. There aren't. And I think that change in itself is just scary. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily know what to expect, but it, it, um, it made me think of the conversation we had last week when we were talking about our identities and, mm-hmm. and how we attach them to certain things. And so you have parents who have attached their identity to that being a parent. Now they're not a parent in a way. And so right. it's shifted. It's not, you're not needed as much as you were needed. And now I have time and what do I do? So, you know, I think you can only do so much planning. And again, that goes back to that, that sense of control that we need, <laughs> you know, but it's, it, that's part of what we talk about though, is, you know, being prepared and making plans. And the more resilient someone is, we often find it's because they're adaptable and they have either made plans or they knew this was coming and they made some kind of like, well, I'm going to have more time. So now I'm going to go start jogging or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever it is. Um, to try and come up with ways to cope because if you have, you know, 12 hours extra on your hands now, that's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> and like you said before, we don't often think good things when we have too much. No, you spiral think. downward. Yes. You bring up adaptable, which is really, really important when the world shifts and there's job loss and there's illness and, and there's all kinds of things going on. Being adaptable and being resilient is going to be more important than ever. And as people struggle with the changes, because change is not embraced by everyone. There's a unique few who find it, okay, if this door is opening or closing, this window needs to open and I guess I have to go through. But not everybody has that thinking. Right. Some people think that, okay, well, you know, I, I didn't deserve it, so that's why this happened, and I am useless and worthless. And, and those kinds of feelings 
are best expressed right out loud to somebody who will listen because you are worthy. You are worthwhile and you do have more purpose than you know. And sometimes it just takes someone telling you that you matter to me. I want you to call me. I'm going to call on you and I don't want you to get mad that I'm checking up on you. And you know what I'm talking about. The follow-up that I think follow your intuition is something that I would offer up as a tip. Follow it. If someone crosses your mind, pick up the phone, throw out a text, knock on a door, you know, whatever seems to work for you, put a note in the mail. Yeah. And I think, again, we don't know what that means. And for that person, they may feel like they've not been seen. They, they may feel invisible. They may feel like no one cares. And so doing that is a validation of you. You are a person that I consider and I think about, and then Mm -hmm. we don't know what kind of impact that can have on an individual. But I think too, you know, um, letting just anyone know, because I've had people reach out to me that I don't necessarily know, or that mm-hmm. maybe I went to school with many, many years ago, um, two, three years ha- ago, just, yes, very short, time. a minute ago, <laughs> right. Um, that I haven't talked to in a long time. And they say, I don't, I don't know who else to go to. And it, it breaks my heart every time because I'm thinking there are people in your life who just haven't said, Hey, I'm that person. Um, and we need to do that more as well and just say, if you need something or if you need someone, let me know. Um, I'm here and reiterate that over and over because we forget. <laughs> so um, that, that next time they're on their mind and they don't have to reach out to someone that's a stranger as often. Well, and when we are feeling low, mm-hmm. we often don't have the energy to reach out. One of the signs of depression, you, you lose interest. Nothing makes you smile. Nothing makes you laugh. You curl up. It's, it's just a, some side effects that can occur with uh, depression or even high anxiety. But if we, let's talk at, we have coming up on a break, but let's talk further. We'll start now and continue after the break. You, people have a fear of offering because they feel like they may not know enough and they may cause harm. Mm. And let's talk more about the fact of, you know, what are risk factors? What are helpful? um, I'm losing the word. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, there are risk factors and then there are are factors that help you. So if you have a social, I I had to think too. Yes, let's well, say we're too close to this. Um, but seriously, there are some things to to know and to look for, and know that your likelihood of doing harm is very small. Mm-hmm. Your likelihood of doing good is amazingly high. Right. And so we do have to go on a short break. But let's look at those protective factors and the risk factors, and and talk about those in the next segment because we want you to feel confident enough to reach out and also to know when it is not for you to be doing and should be passed on. So those are important things. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. We're Wise Health for Women Radio and we'll return after these short messages. It's merging 
was growing up in Wisconsin, no matter how frigid it was outside, my Uncle Bob never seemed to get cold. He would come in from the snow wearing a t-shirt and remark how fresh it was outside. Then again, folks from Wisconsin are a pretty hardy bunch. As America's official dairy state, the cows have been known to give ice cream instead of milk when the temperatures drop. What's a word for a giant snowball that is formed by rolling a smaller one through a field of snow? Hog-a-ma-dog. Megla is an old Scots word meaning to trudge laboriously through the snow. And mufflements is an old Lancashire word for thick, warm, insulating clothes and gloves. Don't forget that you shouldn't try and send text messages if you're standing out in the cold. It can lead to typothermia. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Being consistent with your exercise is the pathway to success and healthy living. Jawbone collected data from their fitness trackers and found that the most consistent exercisers work out at 6 o'clock a.m., When you exercise first thing in the morning, you set the stage for the whole day. Exercise gets your endorphins and creative juices flowing and fuels your energy for the day. They also reported that the least consistent exercisers slotted their workout times after 6 o'clock p.m. Shape Magazine says that the read-between-the-lines lesson is that situations out of our control can surface during the day that can disrupt or cancel your workouts. So set your alarm early and get your workout done first thing to reap the benefits for the rest of the day. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. back right before the break we began talking about the fact that while you may want to be someone's friend and, and help and support or family member there's often a fear that oh my gosh if I say something wrong they're going to harm themselves and or I could get in too deep they may ask me questions I don't know the answers to and so while that may be true We're going to talk a little bit about the things that are protective. And when someone's talking in a certain way, they are probably less in danger. There are also things called risk factors, where if you hear all of these, this really is a good time to stay in touch with someone. And at some point, we'll also talk today about when is a good way and how is a good way to say, you know, this has gone beyond what I feel like I can do for you. Can we talk about? So take it away. <laughs> well, I, I like that you talked about the fear of help, and I, I feel like there's really two sides to how we do suicide prevention. And we, we mm-hmm. for some reason, we've divided it in half in between. Um, mm-hmm. You have to uh, ask for help if you need help, right? Which, like you said, if you're in a major state of depression, you oftentimes are capable of asking right. for help. Right. Um, and then the other side is you have to just offer help constantly. Right. Well, I feel like that's just not, not too realistic. Simplistic. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not realistic. No, it's too simplistic <laughs> or, or pull a, pull a, uh, suicide hotline card out of right. your back pocket. I, I find that baffling because <laughs> while it's helpful so that maybe you know what the number is, right. it's, it's not likely 
to to occur. So right. Talk first about well, and, and I think that too that you have to understand that when someone is in a state of, of suicidality, thinking of suicide, that they're not thinking again rationally. Right. And so if I were to pull and if someone if you, for example, were to come up to me and say, I need help and I were to pull a card out and say, Here's a number, <laughs> that's a very uh, that's you know, awkward. cold. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes, that's, that's not the best way to go into that situation exactly. because I've just told you I don't want to talk to you. Talk to a complete stranger. Right. Um, but the but the thing too is you know we tell people to offer help all the time and that is just terrifying. Um, I've told the story. I had been doing suicide prevention for probably about a year and I've done. I had been through several courses. I was still very early in my my whole career, so to say. And I'd been through the classes and they said, you know, if someone's having thoughts of suicide, you ask them if they're having thoughts of suicide and all of these things. And so I'm having a conversation with someone and they said, I'm really worried about so-and-so. I think you need to ask them if they're having thoughts of suicide. And I thought, I don't want to do that. (laughs) That's (laughs) terrifying. Why would I do that? And then I kept thinking, this is what I'm trying to do. At this point, I've asked, I don't know how many times, but it was absolutely, I I thought, first of all, she's never going to want to talk to me again. Um, second of all, what if she is, and then what do I do? I don't know what to do. I mean, there were so many things and there's so many barriers that pop up, not to mention, you know, we don't know what people's personal histories are with this. So we have to find a common ground. There there is, you know, there is some family history component to this. Right. Well, and for me, you know, I had been doing suicide prevention and I tell people it was all by accident. I didn't mean to get into this work, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, but when I first started, it it constantly was a matter of breaking open old wounds. And I didn't mean to do that. It's just it's what was happening and I I was processing things as I was learning about these things. And then I would learn more and I would think, Oh, well this changes how I see this. And so it was very healing, but it was hard. It was Mm -hmm. very hard. And to be in the midst of also having to offer help to others while processing and trying to come to terms, it's too much for people oftentimes, especially when you're not telling people (laughs) what's going on in your head when you realize something or hear something, um, because it's very personal and they may know pieces of your story. They may know something happened to you, but that doesn't mean they understand the complexities of what that really looked like or felt like. Right. So I think it's, it's, it's very um, important for us in this realm, if we have others who are in this realm, that we take time and consider that, I mean, you lost someone a year ago, and this may not be the best time for you to start offering help um, because you may still need a lot of help, and you may not have the capacity to give that. But we can't know those things just by looking at a person. That means having conversations. That means being vulnerable. And we know how that feels, right? Right. Um, There's also things like anniversaries. mm, Yes. Anniversaries of death, um, anniversaries of birthdays, Mm. regular anniversaries, um, which are more vulnerable points. And people feel perhaps... Uh, they don't know why they feel differently. And then when they look back or, or if it comes up in their minds, um, it anniversaries are hard. Yeah. Firsts are hard. Seconds are hard. Thirds are hard. And in, in case of suicide, every time mm. is hard, every holiday, every everything. And it, it becomes 
really difficult because there are vulnerable times. But you're right, over asking, um, it, it's probably better than under asking, but there is also, um, the, the safety factors can be things like having friends that you do feel comfortable enough to say, I am not feeling myself. I am, you know, very upset and I, I, this, this and this happen and you know, I'm not, I'm not worth it. Uh, I'm not a good friend. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good this or that. Those are, those are vulnerabilities that someone is sharing with you, which is a great honor and it can be a great burden. I completely agree. And I think too that sometimes those people, and I, I say this from, from my own opinion, my own personal life, mm-hmm. sometimes those people that we love and lean on, um, in our day to day are not the best to understand the specific issue. Mm-hmm. And for me, through my work, I have been able to find others who had similar losses mm-hmm. and we have conversations because there are some experiences that you can only yes. communicate with someone who also has been through a similar experience. Mm-hmm. And that can be very rewarding. Um, I know a woman who I just adore. She's like an angel on earth and mm-hmm. We have had conversations and, you know, oftentimes we come back to, we just want to enjoy the world around us because we understand how short our lives really are. Right. Um, and I don't have that, you know, others know that, but our reasoning that we know that is very different and we connect on that. Um, so I think too, that finding those people that are safe for you to have those conversations, Mm -hmm. that's a huge protective factor because you can have conversations and be vulnerable in a way where someone actually understands what you're saying Mm -hmm. and appreciates it. And that has helped me to further understand some of the things that I've experienced Mm -hmm. where I don't think I would have, if it had been with just anyone else, Mm -hmm. um, So, and I, and I, you know, you said you were in groups earlier. There's so many, you know, lost groups and support groups and things out there now that it's much easier. It's actually very new. You know, it's, I would say in the last five years, I've seen an advent of groups, not a lot even before that, um, because it, we know about things so much faster these days. Right. And so it, it, you don't have to take time to get an obituary. It's mm-hmm. out on text message. Right. Um, and, and you can't control those messages as we all know. And so the, but having a, a social factor, having a, a pet or, or people around you who need you and who support you, those are good protective factors. The purpose thing cannot be understated. Because a lot of people, I'll, I'll give you the example of my veterans, when someone is severely injured, catastrophically injured, and has to leave what they thought was their future, they're not only grieving the loss of not having that the job and the position and the camaraderie that they had looked for, but now they're dependent on someone else. And in many cases, this is really enough to put them in a completely different frame of mind. I would venture to say the same thing is true of those who have been viciously assaulted um, and feel themselves unworthy and, and don't want to talk about it because it, again, more stigma with uh, personal responsibility, which is not the case, but that's the control factor again. There is there's a lot to be said for 
professional help. I agree. And I think that there are so many different, like if you're talking about veterans and military, I mean, my father was in the military Mine and there too. were layers of all of things, all of these. I mean, you had home life, you had work life, you had, he was the the breadwinner, he was the man, all, you know, so there's all mm-hmm. of these different components and factors that go into it. Mm-hmm. And most everyday people can't peel back those layers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, but they're important. not even, they don't get to see those layers. Right. And I think too, you know, again, it's, we're too close to that. And so it becomes just a part of our everyday and it's just, Oh, well, there's that thing that keeps popping up that I should probably deal with. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, and then we don't, <laughs> you know? And so I, I have been another wonderful thing is I've met so many in mental health, you know, yes. and different types of professionals and, they know so many things and have allow, allowed me the opportunity to see so many different ways of helping people. Mm-hmm. And too often we limit, oh, well, there's, you know, just talk therapy. But there's so many different things oh, no. out there for everyone <laughs> well, that works, right? Well, and an outlet um, or or something that gives new purpose. Um, we keep coming back to that word purpose because it really does give you a reason to get up in the morning and go do something. And when that loss of purpose comes or it's completely changed from what you thought it would be, that's a difficult journey for many people. And so we also don't know what to say when someone is lost to suicide. And that's that's what we'll talk about in our next segment because there there is a language that is kind. There is a language that is more accepted. Um, you don't have to use these things, but we're going to tell you that it would make it a lot simpler for all concerned because there's so much grief with this that we can alleviate it by not making it worse. Right. Would you agree? That's the, main, uh, the main point is just don't make it worse. Um, I would completely agree. Yeah, hard to talk about how you couldn't make it worse, but I mean, it's, it's important that we do try and take those aims. So we will talk also about how to talk about the words that you can use, the words that are less recommended, and then how you feel will show on your face most of all. So stay with us. We're going on our last break. We'll be right back with more to come. We're listening to Suicide, Loss, and Grief with Susie Reese and me, and we'll see you in just a few moments. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. If you are looking to drop a few extra pounds or to just get more toned, working out with an exercise ball is a good idea. Livestrong.com says that when you perform exercises on a stability ball, you are engaging your core and helping to shape and tone your abs. Exercising with a stability ball, also known as an exercise or fitness ball, will strengthen your core and improve your balance and stability. They remind us that it is impossible to spot reduce. You need to consume fewer calories than you burn, and then the weight will come off all over your body, including around your waist. As you are cutting back on calories, be sure to use the exercise ball during this time to tighten and tone your waist. Your newly sculpted abs will become more and more visible as your weight decreases. I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. 
had a weird weekend relaxing and reading through mental floss when I came across these rip-roaring R-words. I recognized a few of them, such as the old 18th century Scottish word ramdiesled, which means fatigued or exhausted. A couple more great R-words are ruckatly tuckatly, meaning crumpled or gathered up and ruched. Rouge is commonly used today to describe a flattering blouse or top. Rabbity is a 16th century word for an innocent fool, while Raffle Coppin is a rash, impetuous person, or maybe just somebody that gets carried away with our words. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back. Let's talk about how suicide can ripple through a family in a different way. A a close friend of mine lost a parent to suicide uh, at a very young age, not as young as you were, but 18, and has never been able to really come to grips with that day. Um, There's there's still some anger. There's a feeling of betrayal. Um, And the day affects him, the anniversary affects him every single year. And it's understandable to to see why. Well, and I think, too, that after, to me, I know after my father passed, the day that he died for many years was just a dark day on the calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, And so weeks leading up, I knew what was coming. And then I think... It, it became a part of my yearly ritual. So, yes. I, I, you know, we have circadian rhythms, and I think that it became a, an annual rhythm for me to just yay be depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it, it was a really difficult thing for me to not necessarily overcome because I can't say that it still isn't a hard day. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's a, it's a difficult day. But, again, I have been lucky enough that through this work I've met people who – you know, the week leading up or the day of, they've come to know that that's an important day Mm -hmm. and they reach out and let me know that they're thinking of me and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, that's a huge kindness, um, to be able to do that because that will always impact someone that the birthday, um, my father's birthday is, um, a few days before Christmas. And so Christmas was just never a happy time after he passed because that's when family is around and you see them missing and, um, you know, everyone else has their family. And then there's this resentment and jealousy. I mean, just as a child, you have so many things that you don't understand. And for me, when I was so young, the adults didn't understand either Mm -mm. um, because we didn't talk about these things and we'd never experienced it before. So we were very alone in that. Well, and talk about the layers of trauma, because I think we are a superficial people right now, um, for the most part. So what you put out on social media is the highlight reel. Right. And a lot of people have no idea if they didn't know you or someone um, as, as well who has gone through this would not know. Because it's not something, it's something you share because of the work you do. Right. But there are many, many people that when you start to bring up a topic like this, you didn't know that they right. had this in their past. Um, you know, anything from uh, suicide to a loss of a child to, 
you know, other assaults and traumas and abuse. And we don't know each other well in many cases. We know what is shown to the world, which is why I will put out a bid to be kind to everyone because you simply do not know what they are going through. But the loss of a parent to suicide, the loss of a child to the parents to suicide, these are unspeakably difficult things to go through. Well, and I think that you're right. Most people aren't going to put that information out all the time. And even today, I had a few people who were remembering loved ones that had passed years ago, and mm-hmm. I don't know the stories behind that. Mm-hmm. It's it's rude <laughs> in some ways to just say, hey, what happened? You know, yeah. um, that seems very heartless. And just for the fact of needing information, what, what, what does well, that matter? Curiosity. Right. Right. Um, so I, I think that there are layers of trauma and I think that, you know, those layers, um, get reopened in different ways throughout time. Um, recently I actually told you that my grandfather gave me a big box of photos and things and my father passed in the early nineties. We didn't have a lot of photos of him. Mm-hmm. I had a handful. And so this weekend was horrible. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, I went through this. You reopened. And, right, right. And, and you're fine and then you're not fine. Mm-hmm. Um, something happens and you're not okay. And it's for whatever reason. And now I have a box with all these loved ones who are no longer with me. Um, and so you go through that and then you try and reprocess and it's never a matter of just, I'm fine. I, I lost someone and it doesn't hurt. It will always No, hurt. that door will never fully close. Right. And I think that's the, the, the whole premise behind being, being kind to someone is, um, we don't know what day of the year it happened. We don't know what that, that meant. We don't know the moments. Uh, sunsets are very meaningful to me. I used to watch the sunset with my dad. Mm. It's a very, like, almost a ritualistic, you know, I don't, I don't just do that with anyone because it was, such a fond memory. Mm-hmm. Um, but how many times do we overlook think little things like that or people right. who went and had a special cup of coffee with someone or, you know, whatever it is. So I think that because we're human and we attach meaning to experiences and places and things, um, those can be la- la- layers of trauma that get reopened or someone says something that that other person said or reminds you of that person. Here you are flooded with memories and feelings all of a sudden that you weren't expecting. Um, And I think casual conversation, you know, people can make comments that are just flippant uh, parts of normal conversation, but depending on the mindset of the person who's hearing it can really bring back memories and, and in a harmful way. And, I think we need to be more observant of each other in terms of emotional intelligence. You know, pay attention to what that face said. If somebody's wincing when you're talking about something, chances are that that's not a good thing you just said to them. Right. And there's actually a moment where that you can get closer and you said, I touched a nerve. You know, can, will you share it with me? Uh, I mean, that's sometimes an easy way to get you know, the, the hidden grief that is there can come out. Not everybody will do that, though. Everybody treats grief differently. As we've okay. seen in this series about grief and loss, hidden grief can be isolated until it's suddenly not. Right. Well, and there can be a million reasons why. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, when I was little, people said very inappropriate things about my father's death. 
Um, and for them, it wasn't inappropriate, I, you know, and I, I'm sure we can all imagine the types of things people said, but was it very judgmental? Very judgmental. One was, uh, I was at church, um, and it was said, and I thought, oh, okay. So, you know, something that said mm. to them that they believe doesn't right. necessarily need to be said out loud. Correct. Um, Lots of things should not be said out right. loud. Right. And especially to a child. So, um, because you, you, we, as children, we hold on to things differently. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's the important thing to remember is that we don't know what the impact of that feeling or opinion is going to play on that other individual that may not feel or think the same thing. Um, and, and so for me, when having conversations like this, I have found asking permission mm-hmm. for, um, you know, can I, or may I, or will you tell me mm-hmm. those kinds of framing, um, conversations tend to be a lot, a lot less, uh, invasive, <laughs> Um, right. And, and it, it, it allows the opportunity for that individual to say, I don't, I'm not okay with that. Or that's not the, this isn't the time not today. for that. Right. right. <clears throat> Instead of, well, here's what I think, or this is what you need to do or this, because too often we give advice and try to need permission. Right. right. Um, and so for me, just, you know, I, I don't tend to, if someone comes to me, I don't tend to lean into certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to probe. I will kind of direct in a way of, okay, well, let's figure out what's brought us here and how we can get where we need to go. Mm-hmm. But if you want to tell me your story, that's completely fine with me. Otherwise, I am not going to hammer in those details because it's, it's just, it, what's the point of that, honestly? Well, you can't um, change it. I think that's the other thing that makes this so difficult is, is not something you can reverse. Right. It's not something that you can erase. It's, it's just a very, very, um, in many cases, it's a traumatic experience for people. And learning how to cope with it is a process, a mm-hmm. slow process, a, a lengthy, a lifelong process. And, also, because families tend to have this um, ripple effect, it it is something to be especially aware of and and kind to. So, talking about things is very important. Um, I, we should mention before we go that uh, the words these days are lost their life to suicide, as opposed to someone killed themselves. Um, how do you feel about the language portion? I think that it's it's very important. Don't get me wrong at all. Um, I think that the way that we speak and the words that we use mm-hmm. um, impact things that we don't necessarily understand, and people um, comprehend things differently. Everyone does. Yes. So I think that the way that we speak about this is is vital. I don't know that anyone has found the ideal language. <laughs> I don't think there are ideal words for this. Right. Um, I know that, you know, we, we, we do not recommend saying committed suicide. Oftentimes that's what everyone says. And I still, I was told I'm a, a language Nazi uh, because I make a face when I hear it. And I, I right. don't correct people unless I'm in, uh, in a educating mode. Uh, I just don't because I, I know what that word is and how hard it is to shed but um, I, there's some controversy over died by suicide, lost, lost their life right. too. Right. You know, I, I think that if you're making an effort to change the way that you look at the issue, it, it does allow people to know that, hey, 
I am someone you can speak to about this if you mm-hmm. ever need someone. And I think that that's what we're really trying to convey because that concept of committed is this is criminal and, you know, that, you know what happens when you do a, commit a crime and we're going right. to punish you and let's not talk about it. So we want to change that mentality around it. And mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of people that say it and don't even think that. Um, so there's well, nothing wrong. Habitual. <laughs> right. It is habitual. And I've actually witnessed the process of people trying to unlearn that, that phrase. Mm-hmm. And I've come to the conclusion that it takes at least a year of actively working on it until you get to the point of not saying committed suicide. And that to me, that's just, wow. Like it's it, a year. <laughs> well, and most people do, though don't deal with it as constantly as you do. And for right. those listening, you know, these are just things to put in your mind and, and consider when you next run up against uh, a suicide in your community, your family, uh, anywhere, because right. it, it it is around us. And I think the other thing we wish to convey is that, yes, there is professional help. Yes, there are people to talk to. Yes, you have protective factors. But if you're feeling in need, then, you know, you may not always feel like reaching out. So those of us around you will try and reach out as well. And your feelings are your feelings, and no one can take them away from you. But we will try and help you to position this so that you know that you are valued, cared for, loved, and you are definitely not invisible. Anything to add, Susie? That was beautiful. I think that you said, I was like, wow, that was like you practiced that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Ad lib. Thanks, no. everybody. We'll talk next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.